any questions from um, lunch? For the YouTubers? <laughs> This is what we uh, do for the um, the, uh, the lady participants. Oh, what is that? It's a nice warm jacket. I think it's safe. Like I think we have about fifteen or twenty of them. <laughs> Can I have one? <laughs> <laughs> I think the silver fox one would be good for him. Yes. The silver fox. And I'll take the third one. Uh, I'm not sure we got one to fit around your fat ass. That's okay. Just going around my fat feet. Who was the quarterback, the famous quarterback in your time that was always showing up with a fur coat? Joe Namath. Joe Namath. Yeah. Yeah, don't give me any cunt jokes about... So can we open the door now? Yeah, you can open the door. Hey, 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 easy. Baby's going to play. Hey, for a woman, I'll put up with it, but you need to harden the fuck up. Anything... Just for YouTube, the only woman in the audience... No, there's a lot of cunts here, but the only woman in the audience... Uh, it's been cold, and so we moved her from this side of the room to that side of the room. She's still cold. So I got uh, her one of uh, the uh, spare or sable coats from the castle, which we have a number of them. Not all sable, but so uh, mixed, etc. Yeah, the um, other pussies won't say that they're cold. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I used to tell the joke when I first started in uh, the mid-90s uh, coaching. I'd say that vis-a-vis... Um, Coaches, high-performance guys, we didn't call them high-performance back 20 years ago. Uh, I've ma I made more money, accumulated more wealth, created more value than, um, than the whole industry, uh, cumulatively since Napoleon Hill. And uh, so that didn't really resonate because nobody could figure that out. But then I used to say, <clears throat> my wife has lost in fur coats at airports more wealth than the industry has accumulated. <laughs> They could figure that out. For somehow, somehow that had resonated, and and so, uh, but we have a lot of uh, expensive fur coats around. The uh, although, and then there was a period of time, of ten or twelve years, where fur coats went out of fashion for women because they, you know, uh, global warming, uh, tree huggers, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And in some parts of the world, uh, you know, uh, people used to spray paint people that had fur coats and stuff like that. That never happened to us, but the, uh, so we have a, uh, a number of them uh, in storage here. Okay, back to my question. Questions about <clears throat> what we covered uh, at lunch? Now, Andrew Carnegie wrote this a hundred years ago. Now, when you think about it, when you read it, and we're going to go through them individually, <clears throat> this is what his rules for super success. And as you know, Andrew, it just comes from down the road here. He used to have Skibo Castle, which is up the road. You know, is my idol, more or less, uh, for uh, being a high-performance person. And without doubt, uh, uh, today, in today's dollars, I think the last time I uh, looked at it, he'd be worth five or six hundred billion dollars, <clears throat> uh, which nobody's even close to that. 
uh, not dissimilar to my track record vis-a-vis -vis the rest of the coaches. And uh, the, uh, but he came up with some real smart things, as we're going to read in a second. Not the least of which, because he's this, you know, he was 12 or 13 years old when he left, left Dunfermline in Scotland. Uh, how far is Dunfermline from here, Megan? About an hour and a half. An hour and a half hour. Down, down the road, on the way to Edinburgh. Yeah. Oh, kind of on the way to Edinburgh. Yeah. And, um, the, and so when you think about it, this is before uh, human resources. This is before uh, all the things, uh, political correctness, uh, before um, uh, we've been bogged down with uh, uh, conventional wisdom, etc. And uh, we talked yesterday about Maslow's hierarchy of needs which came out just as I came back to university from the military, and uh, where he says, shelter, be kind, gentle, and financial motive was fourth or fifth, money was fourth or fifth, which I never bought then, I don't buy now. But these are Andrew Carnegie's. Number one, first on his list, read it, Simon. Financial motive must prevail. Number one in your heart, Financial motive must prevail. And this, these are rules of success. These are also part of his leadership. In other words, uh, you get what you pay for. I mean, if you, uh, you want to pay no money, you're going to get no talent. You'll get nay talent, as they say. And, uh, the, and it still prevails, you know, 100 uh, plus years later. Number two, never reprimand employees and said asking questions revealing their own faults. And when you think about this, because this was back in the day when you beat employees, you know, you did awful things, slavery, not much after slavery, and yet he said, basically, you, uh, you, you don't openly reprimand employees and you uh, treat them fairly, okay, which is way before human resources, way before anybody ever had a personnel department, etc. So he was a man ahead of his time. Number three, have one or more in training for your job. <coughs> In the com companies that I've run, personally, not just the public companies that I've run, I've always wanted three to five people that could replace me. Three to five. For you insecure bastards, you won't like that. I always wanted one or two that could, that I was, that could cut my head off and leave me for dead. Always one or two. Ultimately, the guy that cut my head off, didn't leave me for dead, wasn't one of mine. It was one of the ones that the Kuwaitis came in and replaced me with when um, uh, Iraq in, 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 invaded Kuwait. Um, but why do you want that? Why would you want people, because that sounds like disloyalty, right? You want people that want your job because you want people that, you, that are motivated. You want people that are hungry. You want people that are energetic. And if push comes to shove, you don't want people that don't mind cutting your head off to get your job. In most of your organizations, you hire people that unfortunately are like you because that's easier, that's within your comfort zone. You want people that you like. And why do you like them? Because you feel comfortable with them. And why do you feel comfortable with them? Because they're fucking weak like you. And you wonder why your organizations haven't grown more. Next, four. Never make decisions for employees, allow them to make their own and give them the responsibility and authority to implement uh, their own actions. Now this is very much like management by objectives, except this was about 75 years before management by objectives ever came out. 
management by objectives is you let the lower echelon, lower tier, people at the bottom of the, uh, the ladder make decisions, we should do this, we should do this, and it's approved all the way up until it gets to the board. Now, no wonder he was so, so filthy rich, no wonder he had been so successful, no wonder he created an industry, the steel industry, and he sold out for a poultry, 480 million, I believe, to J.P. Morgan. So there's a reason why Napoleon Hill came to interview him back in the 20s or whenever it was, <clears throat> 1920s, and then he said, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to go at the end of the weekend interview in San Francisco on Knob Hill, as legend has it. He says, I'm going to give you an opportunity. And he pulled out his watch, like this pocket watch. And what Napoleon Hill didn't know is it was going to give him 60 seconds to make a decision. 60. He said, how would you like the opportunity to go meet the wealthiest people on the planet, approximately 500, and write a book of the secrets of success? And Napoleon Hill, as legend has it, some people say it took him 26 seconds, some people say it took him 36 seconds. But it was clearly under 60 seconds that Andrew Carnegie gave him to make the decision. Now what does that say about making decisions? What does that say about procrastination? What does that say about doing motherfucking spreadsheets? He also said that you're not gonna get paid and it'll probably take you the rest of your life. It only took him 20 years. As far as I'm concerned, that's the rest of his life. <clears throat> I would have spent about two, three years, met 30, 40, 50 people, hired doofuses to go meet the other 470 or whatever, and then I would have you know, written the book. But he didn't. Napoleon Hill spent the next 20 years. He spent the majority of his adulthood devoted his life to it, he became famous, and he became the modern-day first, arguably, uh, not arguably, in my opinion, the first uh, high-performance teacher, mentor, coach, whatever you want to call it. And he founded an industry. And of course now, every, dog, every, every guy and his dog is a, is a coach, mentor, whatever. But Andrew Carnegie started it by giving Napoleon Hill the opportunity. Napoleon Hill, to his credit, snapped at it. He was very young. We saw the video, and Napoleon Hill described that moment that he met Andrew Carnegie, not met, but was given the opportunity uh, to go and research and write. Uh, at that time, it was called uh, The Secrets, of, uh, I believe, of Success. And so that's a long, long time ago. But things haven't changed, and I believe that the financial motive still must prevail first. <coughs> Just as I've told you, ad nauseum for three and a half days, you can't love anybody unless you love yourself. You can't give people self-esteem unless you have, give, you have your own self-esteem. You can't give people self-confidence unless you have self-confidence. You can't give people self-worth unless you have self-worth. And the little guy, and I don't mean this in a demeaning way, because Andrew Carnegie wasn't a very big man, had all the above. He had that self-confidence, he had that self-esteem, he had that self-worth. And we've talked about how we create that. So somebody, in that, those parents of his, did something good. I don't know which one, there's not enough written about it, whether it was his mother or his father. His, his mom, for sure. Okay. His dad was a wimp. Okay. His mother, 
and in my judgment, uh, the women are the stronger sex. And I said, I think yesterday, if men had babies, instead of having 7.4 billion people on the planet, we'd have about 50 million. <laughs> because men wouldn't be having kids. They wouldn't go through childbirth. I understand it, and women are tough. And I, you know, I've pointed uh, gold in my hair, Maggie Thatcher, etc., or two of my idols uh, as uh, in, leadership, in leadership roles. But this is how it got started. <coughs> and it's, um, it's quite serendipity because when I bought this place, I didn't plan on being a high-performance coach. Um, but I did look at Skibo Castle, I came very close to buying it. So a few years after I bought this place. But one of the things that kept me from buying Skibo Castle, it had about 100 bedrooms. And it came with live-in people on the estate of uh, 100 or 150 people. And I only had one living guy, Mr. Brown, and he was a nice man, God rest his soul, didn't cause me any problems, lived in the, lived in the front cottage, uh, and for 66 years, he used to be the uh, guy that was in charge of the uh, trees and lumber here on the estate, when the uh, Guthrie uh, estate was much, much larger. But all I did was magnify this times 120 people, 15 bedrooms versus 105 bedrooms. And I had already calculated how much money it cost me to fix this place up. And I said, this is bullshit. I mean, uh, you know, I'll be fixing Skibo Cast up the rest of my life. So I passed on it. And uh, I believe uh, uh, the Savory bought it and then turned it into a luxury thing. And not ever completing the 105 bedrooms either. I don't think anybody's ever completed 105 bedrooms. Uh, and. Uh, but then here we are, you know, not too far from his uh, place at Skibo, not too far from uh, where he was born and raised until he was 12 or 13 years old. So again, Guthrie Castle is the perfect metaphor for yesterday's dreams or tomorrow's uh, realities. But again, for all the soothsayers, I mean, <coughs> financial motive must prevail. And you're going to get out there when you leave here. And people are going to say, money isn't everything. I get it from the YouTubers all the time. Money isn't everything. And my retort, I don't answer the emails or the tweets anymore, but it's the only thing anybody fucking keeps track of. Since the pyramids, which I told you. I want a bigger pyramid than you. Since the pharaohs. What you do with the money is then you go and can do good and you have more choices. People like me live differently and we can support charities, etc. because we have more choices because we've made wealth and we can go do good things. You can do bad things too, but you want to be a do-gooder, <clears throat> go out and make some money. Then be a do-gooder and do all kinds of good things. Is there any questions about financial motive must prevail? From my biographer here, uh, Pablo? No. No. From Shazad? No? Okay, that's enough for YouTube today. Thank you.